0: Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Groseck. it me. great pleasure to welcome co-host Russell Hanby to our regular weekly segment, What's Making News. Welcome again to Viewpoints, Russell Hanby. Thanks, Henry. How are you getting on today? All right? Oh, pretty good. You know, it's uh, it's a bit like that every time. <laughs> the days can easily merge one way into the other, but uh, at the same time, they're all unique. Um, no, we're going well. What's it like up there in the gully? And I know you're yeah. still uh, moving house <laughs> to some extent. Would that be true? Yeah, that's
1: right. In the process of that, and uh, pretty warm. It's, uh, each week we have a few hot days and then it cools down. So I guess we uh, don't have to wait too long before there's a change.
0: Yes, and as we enter towards autumn, autumn's on the way, um, I do love those, the, the, and we're still a fair way from it, those lovely mellow days of, uh, of uh, autumn, you know, uh, who was it that wrote that, the mellow fruits, mists and mellow fruitfulness. Beautiful line in a poem. Uh, Was it? Yes. Yes. Uh, Mists and mellow fruitfulness. Um, uh, No, and I I, I grew up in the country and we used to, um, around Warrigal area, and in autumn you'd get that lovely. Sort of misty, foggy mornings, crisp days, and calmness about autumn, and the beautiful autumn leaves uh, the, that you see on the trees from the deciduous trees that have been introduced to the uh, to the country. How about yeah. you in autumn?
1: Yes, it's good. I like it. You get nice days, often crisp starts, but that's what you need. And uh yeah, yeah, and a good day, night, and a lot of uh, a good summer, autumn leaves, of course, that look very good too, don't they?
0: They do. But anyway, we're still in summer, and we're still in uh, – we should be still enjoying that, uh, and we will. The, um, what's making news, Russell, this week? The age. Uh, Over the hump, at-risk species rise again. Australia's threatened animals live under constant pressure on all sides, vulnerable to feral species such as cats and foxes, the human destruction of their habitats, soaring levels of plastic pollution and, of course, a rapidly warming climate. It's uh, looking pretty gloomy for them there, Russell. Yes, there's lots of things against them, isn't it? But
1: uh, the good news, uh, though, today is that there have been 29 Australian species made up of 15 mammals, 4 frogs, 8 birds, 1 reptile and 1 fish. They're no longer listed as threatened. This is according to the esteemed Journal of Biological Conservation. And it includes the humpback whales, murray cod, the, the greater bilby and cassawari, Koss- the growling grass lizard and the Flinders rangers worm lizard. Now, it sounds good, but they do only represent about 10% of Australia's threatened wildlife. Now, the study of Australia's threatened species isn't subject to a periodic review, unlike the United States, where they, they do one on their threatened species a review every five years. So perhaps we should start to do that more. Uh, humpback whale numbers have increased uh, since commercial harvesting was banned, so you can sort of see the cause and effect of uh, why they've increased. Uh, the Murray Cod is due to decades of fishing regulation, captive breeding and translocation. And the cassowary is due to the holding uh, of habitat loss. And also they've controlled in recent years, introduced cats, rabbits, rodents, and mm-hmm. especially foxes and cats. Um, and so mammals have been relocated to islands or fenced areas. And so uh, one of the big problems, as you mentioned, was land clearing and climate change is still an issue.
0: Mm. And, of course, uh, mammals, interestingly enough, Russell, have had the best rate of recovery because the pests causing their decline, largely cats and foxes, can be controlled at a local level and they can be relocated to island or fenced areas. So uh, it's the other ones that are under much more threat.
1: Yes, often they're smaller rodents and things, aren't they? But uh, I suppose there's always a growing awareness, but... uh it's a matter of just getting on top. And of course, the land clearing did, did and any bushfires uh, decimate a lot of the uh, ground level animals, don't they? Mm.
0: And there have been at least five animal species here in Australia listed that were as threatened and now listed as uh, extinct. Do you know which ones they are? <laughs>
1: Uh, yes, I read about them. I haven't got them in front of me. Perhaps you'd like to enlighten me.
0: Christmas Island Pipistrelle, and then there's a small Insectivorous bat, and the small Bramble K Melimus. It's a native rat, so there's a few there that have gone, sadly. But um, look, it's, it's, it's heartening on one level, isn't it? But um, we've got a long, long, long way to go. Uh, on that one, Um, but it is interesting that there is some improvement for some of those mammals. Um, What's going on in the home eating battle? Well, according to the
1: Herald Sun, uh, the home plan in an eating battle. Yes, the intensive in-home treatment for Victorians with an eating disorder could improve their recovery and prevent hospital admissions that cost $2,550 a day, according to experts. uh, Now, the Alfred Health has developed a blueprint for those needing support, and uh, some of the experts have come out and said that hospital environments can make things worse in some cases. Now, Rachel Barbara May, the leader of the eating disorders at Alfred Health's Child and Youth Mental Health Service, said that families need in-home support during distress and meal times, and parents need a lot of help in this regard. And they say the best solution is community-based care. Now, paediatric mental health beds can cost, as we said, about $2,500 a day. Now, the Alfred plan is for home visits by clinicians, dieticians and uh, peer workers up to three times a month. And that should limit uh, hospital hospitalizations. and if that is successful it can lead to better outcomes and faster recovery now Monash Children's Hospital is also developing a plan to better support families in this regard but that won't be sort of looked at until the second half of this year it's sort of a no-brainer you could think that it would be much better for people who've already got uh, probably psychological problems to do it from home wouldn't it
0: yeah look um and it's worth a try, Russell, on the face of it, it makes a lot of sense. Of course, what we've found with other community-based initiatives um, sadly, the resources are not there to give consistent, high-quality support. And um, so the end result is that uh, you save money in, in providing, say, a public care in a hospital or somewhere, but the end result is that uh, at the community level, the level of support's not consistent enough uh, for the families to take advantage of it in the, in the best possible way. Because what are they talking about, two or three visits a month or something?
1: Yes, my clinicians and others, and yes.
0: and, and look, 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 um, I, I take it on face value as being a great idea. Of course, we'll want to see it work in practice because um, often there are many other factors in the home life which mitigate against uh, success in these things a lot of families are under pressure not just because of their eating uh, uh, disorder but the factors that surround it and uh, you don't have always that consistent quality of... uh, uh, focus on the initiative in the home so to speak. Uh, does that right. make
1: sense to you? Yes it does and also in economic hard times uh, often these services uh, the community based services are the first ones to be cut back aren't they? Uh, I'm thinking of Meals on Wheels which has been around for decades that's been cut back now from the home visits, which cause a lot of pleasure for people to, to... Often it was the only social interaction. Now it's just you get the frozen tube for a week or something to put in the, the freezer and in the microwave.
0: Yes, that's the thing. Look, it's one of those ideas that, uh, of course, you're going to need more resources too because... Uh, I take the point about the weaknesses of the hospitalisation system. However, um, if you're going to have an outreach program, you're going to need a lot more people to get out to those people uh, in any way near the level of uh, visitations that you'd have or direct contact in one central place. So, you know, there's swings and roundabouts uh, in many ways and uh, in one way, well, it certainly saves money, to the authorities and people, but on the other hand, whether it will deliver something better or not, I think uh, is still um, the jury's still going to be out on that one. Have they quoted any evidence of this working uh, in other countries? This approach, Russell.
1: Um, I can't remember. Was it in the article? I can't remember whether it was mentioned about the countries. Can you?
0: No, I have the article here, and I think. Uh, I can't see anything there that says that there's um, research supporting that this actually works. That's not to mean to say, by the way, Russell, that you know, it's, uh, we're, we're a ginnit. Um, no. what, what we're saying is uh, let's, uh, let's, let's uh, be cautious in our enthusiasm for it. But of course, um, it, it's something which uh, too many people have a, a losing battle with eating, don't they?
1: They do. It's uh, an issue that isn't going away, is it, for a lot of people?
0: Absolutely. We'll take a short break, my friend. Can you hold the line? Yes, surely. Welcome back to Viewpoints Listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grussek. We're making what's making news with co host Russell Hanby. Welcome back, Russell. Thanks, Henry. Now we're on to biosecurity threats um tell us about these yes well
1: i thought at first that it was something malicious uh, some country trying to put uh, poison gas into the cars or something but it's not quite as sinister as that but uh the, the delays for new cars has increased during the pandemic uh, due to shortages of parts especially things like microchips or semiconductors and the average waiting time was 137 days in january this year that's up from 159 last august so it's uh up a fair mm. bit, and it was only 30 days' wait in 2019. In fact, the, one of the longest waits is for a CHR model, which is taking three three 318 days, uh, best part of a year to, to get it. Now, vehicles are being stored longer, even in paddocks, before being shipped to Australia. Now, because they're hanging about a lot, there's an increasing likelihood of collecting soil, seeds, plant material and live insects, which creates a, a big biosecurity risk. And uh, there's been an 88% increase over the year of the number of cars needing cleaning because of contamination. There were 17,700 in 2021, 33,300 in 2022. So it's gone up significantly. Now, these biosecurity threats could harm agriculture, and that has happened in some neighbouring countries. Now, in 2022, China was the top source of contaminated vehicles, followed by Thailand and Spain, And as well as people having waits for new cars, farmers are also having long delays for machinery and tractors and things.
0: It's an interesting one. I never, when I first looked at that biosecurity threat, I thought, "Oh, well, that's an interesting one, Russell." And yes, you, you, you. It's almost one of those uh, lateral thinking uh, forms of, uh, of, of a threat. Yes, they're out in paddocks and they get seeds and insects and whatever. And what's interesting is Australia actually, Russell, remains free of major exotic pests and diseases that... The harm the agricultural sector of neighbouring countries. Uh, But, of course, we did have a case of foot and mouth disease detected in pork products in Melbourne last year. That threw us into a bit of a flap, didn't it? Yeah, so we're not immune.
1: We don't want to get too complacent about it, do we? But no, they, they can be threats. Well, you only have to watch one of those border security programs to see. If they take the seeds or any plants and material very seriously, don't they?
0: Absolutely. I mean, you still have, like, we were up in, um, where were we up in? Mount Beauty over January. And when we went to Mount Hotham from there, there's a point at which you're not allowed to take grape products any further. Did you know that? No, I don't know. for biosecurity risks. Oh, yes, right. interesting yeah. because it's uh, it's there's a particular pest that can damage uh, some some insect or something up there.
1: Yeah, I mean, do you remember too when you? I don't think they have them now. So much, but you even crossed borders in the car and there were yep. beans to put your apples and things.
0: Yes, you know, you had
1: to dump the fruit, didn't you, from the other state.
0: Yeah it, was a, yeah, it was very much across the border. Fruit fly, yeah. remember fruit fly? That's
1: right. That's the main reason, I think, at the time. It for that, was at the it?
0: time, yeah. But now what and, they're, f- they're finding is um, it's the cane toad that's moving south, isn't it? That's a problem. Yes.
1: Yeah, and apparently they can hitch a ride in uh, fruit trucks and things, and that's how With well, have been known to come down this far, haven't they? Uh, and once they start to breed, uh, we're in trouble.
0: Mm, and then you've got the Ross River fever with the mosquitoes. That's uh, heading south too. So, um, yes, it's uh, you've got to be vigilant. I mean, we might say sometimes, oh, gee whiz, why do we have to go through this? But uh, the, the consequences can be very devastating, both commercially and health-wise, uh, by not being vigilant, Russell.
1: That's right. So... Uh It's uh, just as well, I suppose, we do this uh, fumigation of the cars uh, that that come in.
0: Absolutely. Just on another note, while we're there, I was reading very recently that avian flu is is something of great concern. It's uh, spread to most parts of the world other than Australia at the moment. And uh, one of the things that uh, they're considering is, which we've not done to date, is vaccination of poultry.
1: Right, yes. No, we haven't done that, have we? No. Not today, yeah. avian fuel that was in about ten years ago. It was. It comes and goes in the news, doesn't it? That blue. Mm, mm, Can it be transferred to people?
0: Not yet so much. It has on a minor level, but up to now, I think not many people have have suffered it and died. But it had, uh, to the best of my knowledge, about a 50% um, mortality rate if you caught it. So it's not something you want to get.
1: No. And, and, of course, it can decimate our poultry industry and other things, can't it, if it gets into the, uh, the bird life?
0: Absolutely. Now, what reforms are bigger than Medicare, um, Russell? Yes, well, free
1: early learning. That's what it would be. That would be provided to every Australian child under a new strategy being hailed as the biggest social policy initiative since Medicare and compulsory superannuation and uh, the national, the, the federal government's planning national consultation on a universal preschool scheme for children under five to receive a minimum amount of 30 subsidised hours at early childhood centres per week. Now, Victoria and New South Wales have implemented similar programs, uh, but in, New South, in South Australia, former Labor Prime Minister Julia Gillard is holding a royal commission into the transition of three-year-olds into state preschools and kindergartens, now, this national scheme we're talking about mm. is to be overseen by early childhood minister Anne Ali and social services minister Amanda Rishworth now uh, there's a few committees looking at things there's the productivity commission that uh, started a national inquiry into the cost benefits of free early childhood education and also the longer term economic benefits now um they playing. They also understand, a lot of people do say there's pretty good evidence to show that a minimum of two years' education before a child starts school is critical to a child's long-term future. So it seems that we're looking at the lower end in age, aren't we, uh, and trying to foster that again?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were in Canada a few years ago, and uh, <clears throat> they were further down this path than we were, and what they saw were the social and educational benefits of young children who had access to, to um, a, a greater level of uh, preschool education. So, no, look, I think uh, it's a no-brainer that uh, we push ahead with this one. Uh, can't see any reason why we wouldn't. And uh, I'd agree with um, Julia Gillard. It's... Uh, I don't know whether it's bigger than Medicare, but it's certainly up there with Medicare, Russell.
1: Yes it is and of course the kids as well as any educational value they get a lot of uh, socializing too at that age don't they you know mm,
0: yes it and it I've also it, it benefits <laughs> parents too. Sorry, there. I think we got ourselves muddled up. Who was going first? I'll defer to you and, and apologise. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say
1: uh, that at these plays groups, you know, that's where they get the good play. Often it might be the only interaction they get in the whole week at these preschools.
0: Mm, absolutely, Russell. And uh, hey, we don't often do that talk over each other or through each other. But in you know, all the years we've been together, but uh, I guess I guess even we. Can can get ourselves muddled up. I do apologise to you and our listeners if uh, if we sounded a bit sort of at cross-purposes. <laughs> we don't
1: do that often, do we? No, because that's an advantage of looking at if we were the other side of the desk, you can watch each other's facial expressions and that happens even less, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely. We're not in a position, we're doing this using modern technology. So anyway, we've got... But no, look, it's, it's a great scheme and uh, I don't think... And I think schools will benefit too because kids will come to school better prepared and hopefully um, in doing so we'll have less uh, numbers of kids slipping through the educational cracks uh, as they go through school because um, it's very hard if kids miss out on those early years uh, in, in education compared to others to catch up so yep we'll watch this space odd spot this is an interesting one for you russell
1: Yes, residents of a Northern Territory outback community of about 800 kilometres south of Darwin reported a recent downpour came with an unexpected surprise live fish larger <laughs> uh, Manu, I looked up how to pronounce that Manu locals said that the animals rained from the sky On the weekend as a big storm hit the town The same freak weather event occurred in Lajamanu in 2010 And was also reported in 2004 And as way back as 1974 now, Central Des- Desert uh, Councillor Andrew Johnson Japanganga said that kids were collecting fish in jars.
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> raining from the sky—it's—it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, it's a—that's uh thats uh, that's, uh, thats something something else. Um, but uh, I-, I think the good thing was they got plenty of rain, and they do get it in large volume at. Uh, times
1: like that don't they Russell yes they do I've actually heard of that phenomenon before actually in other places you know I think the wind gets up and sort of just go they get picked up and then drop it, uh, like a willy-willy, I guess, picks them up, the fish, you know.
0: Yes, I think there's a scientific solution, the answer, the explanation, whatever you want to that one. I don't think the the fish have actually started out in the sky and fallen no, down. No, no. I think they've been <laughs> thrown up. But of course, Russell, uh, if you don't have the science behind you, you could imagine, you know, you see them falling down, you think, where did they come from? And how did yeah, they get right. there? Yeah. Quite, quite a, would be. Um, it would be it would be something to behold and wouldn't it to actually see that happening
1: yes it would wouldn't it you hear about you know, raining cats and dogs as the old saying yeah old
0: raining cats and dogs that's, that's an amazing one <laughs> raining fish well that takes us out for this week Russell it's been a real pleasure to uh, catch up with you again on What's Making News and if it was raining fish this week in Odd Spot goodness knows what it'll be next week
1: <laughs> that's
0: true <laughs> uh, It was Russell Hanby and What's Making News listeners